more hands. How's everybody doing? Hey, I feel like we just had a moment right there, did we not? And uh, one time I remember in Louisiana, when I was pastoring in Louisiana, we, we just did that song. And it was, uh, um, it was a Sunday morning, I was getting ready to go up and preach, and this little hand, this little tiny hand, reached up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Pastor Chad, I've seen that movie. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, the movie that they sing about in that song, Evan Almighty. <laughs> and I'm like a kid, man, God is way bigger than that, you know? And uh, but man, that's the, now that I've ruined everything God was doing in you during that song, let's go to the word of God. Uh, my name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. I also get to serve as one of the elders here. And uh, can I just brag on our staff and elders for a minute? If, if you just, just indulge me for a second, I... My wife and I are really connected with people all over the country, and we have an awesome network, and we've been uh, involved in coaching and, and mentoring other pastors and pastor's wives at times, and we hear horror stories all the time about the culture that other pastors and their wives have to function within. Can I just tell you, we cannot relate. We cannot relate to that. Our staff and our elder culture here is incredible. These people love you. I don't know if you know this about them, but they pray for you. They love you. They are accessible to you. And, and man, we have an amazing team of people leading this church. Most of what happens here is in spite of me. I just get to be the one in the front, but I get to be a part of that team, and I am so grateful for that. So it was fun to celebrate them, to have our annual Christmas dinner for our staff and elders and our, our significant others and spouses. And, and I, I, just, I just wanted to share that with you to encourage you, church. If you ever wonder if you can trust your leadership here, uh, you can wonder about me, but don't wonder about them. They're amazing, they're amazing. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter one. If you're following online, Luke chapter one, go ahead and get there, however you get there. Bible, Bible app, whatever works, uh, get there. We're in week two of what we call Advent. And Advent is, has been a part of the Christian calendar for years. In some denominations, it's a, it's a bigger part than others. But, but what Advent really is, is it's a word that simply is defined as this. It means uh, the, the, the arrival of a significant or notable person or event. The arrival of a significant, notable person or event. If you look a little further in the dictionary about the, the, the definition of Advent, it also talks about the expectancy of that arrival. That's what Advent is really supposed to do. Advent is about us on the way to Christmas, uh, remembering what it must have felt like for the people of that time to anticipate the arrival of the Messiah. And then also to remind us that he came the first time so that it would be good news when he came the second time. That, that's the point. And so what needs to happen in us and what I hope happens in us is not just some regular rhythm of calendar that provides an on-ramp to presents and, and Santa Claus, but, but an on-ramp that, that builds and, and, and stirs a longing in us to celebrate the birth of Jesus, yes. Certainly not less than that. But also a longing and an anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. And when he comes again, he will come, not just as judge, he will come as savior and deliverer of all who believe in him. We should be longing for that day, and that's, that's what I'm really hoping to do. Huh? Can, can you hand me Mary? I, I left her in the basket. I'm sorry. Thank you. I've been worried about breaking my wife's Mary all day. I, I, I joked with the first service, and I just can't wait to tell them it came true. I, I told them my wife will notice that Mary is missing by the time she gets here, and she did. She texted me and asked, where is Mary? 
but I, I brought Mary with me and the baby Jesus with me because uh, you, you don't have to be very close to know who this is when I hold it up, right? If I didn't tell you that's who it was, you would know probably this is from a manger scene in someone's house. This is Mary and the baby Jesus. See, I think the, the fear that I have for us, uh, the, the people that are connected to church and kind of know about things like Advent and, and, and we decorate our homes with trees and stockings, but we also have these uh, manger scenes. We have two in my house. Uh, you, we, we, we become so familiar with Christmas that I think we miss the power of Christmas that elicits that longing, worshipful heart for the return of God. So I think we especially do it with the characters of Christmas. I could hold this up and you could tell me a lot about her and you will tell it to me like, like it's just common knowledge, like it's no big thing. You'll tell me, oh, that's, that's Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'll say, oh, yeah, you're right. You say, oh, well, tell me about her story. Oh, well, she was a virgin who had a baby. And we say that like it makes sense. Like we don't even know what those two words mean right? Baby and virgin don't go together. I'm just telling you, I don't know where you live, whether you're on the farm, in the woods, or in the bedroom, those two things don't play together, right? They just don't. And so, look, we say these things like it's just normal, missing the impossible nature of what God has done to deliver his son to us. See, Advent is meant to be an on-ramp to Christmas that breaks through all the familiarity, all the, the, the tinsel and, and the popcorn and the, and the cranberries and all the things around the stockings and the presents to really show us the power of Christmas. But my fear is we know the story. My, my fear is that we miss the power even just of, of this part of the story, that a woman who shouldn't have been able to have a child, had a child at all. And get this, that's not even the most impossible part of the story. Turn with me to Luke chapter one. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one today. You were there last week, so you may still have it bookmarked if you were here with us. But I want you to see this. So I, I truly believe that everything about the story of Jesus' birth helps us to anticipate the impossible and I have the impossible in quotes because I, I, I want you to know the impossible is based on our understanding that, that the, the impo nothing is impossible for God. And so Advent is meant to build this anticipation in us, a longing for the celebration of the first coming, reminding us to look for the second coming. But, but the story doesn't start in the manger. See, most of us, we hit pause on all the spiritual side of Christmas to get ready for it so that we can read the story on Christmas Eve to open presents on Christmas morning. We've allowed traditions and familiarity to steal some of the, the power. But I wanna talk about learning to anticipate the impossible Learning to see God as a big God who can do impossible things by looking at, at, at how all this even came to be. It's, it's a story that's really one of a kind. It's, it's, it's a story that, that literally has such significance in the world that, that someone who didn't even believe Jesus was the Son of God decided that his birth would be the thing that divides time for all of history. Every calendar you own, if, if you go back far enough, it's, it's divided at the birth of this child. It's divided because there is B.C., before Christ, Anno Domini, the, the year of our Lord. So there's after Christ. There's these things. This birth was significant. It, and and it, it's such a, such a big deal that I think we miss the details around it. 
So I want to make sure we don't do that today. I want, to see, want you to see how this child, uh, even, even in the announcement of his birth, is unlike any other child. I want you to see that some of the things we say like they're normal are actually evidence of the work of God in impossible, huge, remarkable ways. I want you to lean in past the familiarity of your manger scene in Christmas parades, and I want you to see that God did something that should cause worship and surrender in us. Everything about this story should have been impossible. But yet here we are, so sure that it happened that we mark time by this event. Let's look at the lead up. Look at verse 26 in Luke chapter 1. Now, last week we talked a little bit about how an angel appeared to a man named Zechariah, a priest who was in the holy, holy place in the temple, and he predicted that his wife, who had been barren and was well up past childbearing age, would have a baby. Verse 26 starts saying, in the sixth month. That means that six months since John the Baptist was conceived in, in, in the womb of Elizabeth. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I want to stop right here because this is another one of those things that we act like it's normal. You got this nativity in your, in your house, and there's an angel up on top of it, and we just act like that happens all the time, right? I'm, I'm telling you right now, if, if Gabriel appears today, you're going to see one scared pastor. If an angel in all its brilliance and power and, and, and proximity to God appears before me and begins to speak and says, behold, anything, I promise you, number one, they have my attention. Number two, I'm going to be really, really petrified of what comes next. This is not an everyday event. This is a, a, a crazy, rare event of powerful, epic proportions. And Gabriel, just being in front of her at all would have elicited fear, but what he's about to tell her next could possibly be the worst news that anyone could have told her under any circumstance. Let me put it in perspective for you. If the angel had appeared to her and said, you have stage four pancreatic cancer, it would have been better news than the news he's about to tell her. I'm not kidding you. And I'll explain that. I'll unpack that for you in a minute. So he pauses in this greeting to remind her that he's not here as a messenger of justice or punishment. He's here as a messenger of grace. Mary, oh, favored one. I am here to speak God's favor on your life. You see it? Verse 29, one of the great understatements of Scripture. She was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? This is the same angel that appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament. This is the same angel that has appeared to Zechariah. He's now here in front of Mary. He's probably the same angel that spoke to Joseph, but even though the name's not given, this is a messenger from God who stands and is worthy to stand in the presence of God daily for all of eternity. And he's standing, talking to her. Oh, woman of favor. She's troubled. She's trying to figure it out. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, he's reminding her. There's a messenger of God's grace to her. Verse 31, behold, 
You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Got to say, that question makes a ton of sense to me. Verse 35, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For, look at this, underline it in your Bible, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There is quite the list of impossibilities happening in this passage. Let's look at them. I want you to see it. Look at this. Take note of all the impossible in this passage. First, the archangel Gabriel appears and speaks to Mary. Now, if I told you today's message is brought to you from my encounter with an angel this past week, some of you would be a little cynical about that, right? This seems impossible. This is, this is a rare thing. It's an amazing thing. It's an agent of heaven is speaking to a person like Mary. This is unbelievable. And he tells her some things that are even more unbelievable. He says, you will conceive and bear a son. Again, farm, woods, bedroom, virgins don't have babies. It's happened once that I can find in scripture. It's happened once that I can find in history. That's it. And Luke's gone to great lengths to make sure we don't miss the power of the story that she shouldn't be having a baby, but she is. That it's God's activity, not, not man's activity, that is causing this to happen. This should be impossible. Then, she, then he tells her, not only are you gonna have a baby, his name will be Jesus. And for us, that doesn't carry the same weight as it would have for Mary. See, the name Jesus, Matthew 1.21 tells us, literally translates as he will deliver his people from their sin. It's the same name as gives us the name Joshua, the deliverer, the, the savior of people. This is, this is a, a beautiful message to her that this is not just any baby. So let's deal with this part first, all right? He comes in and he leads with the fact that she's favored and, and, and that he's there as a messenger of grace. And then he proceeds to tell her the worst news she could possibly hear. And you're making that face like you don't understand because we're church people and we tell this story like it's a normal story and we're like, she must have been so happy. Like she gets to be the mommy of Jesus and we get to have birthday parties and celebrate her. She's gonna be on my mantle every year for like three weeks. It's gonna be awesome, right? Think about her condition. This is a woman, a very young woman from poor means. She's engaged to a man that she loves very much. She has to tell that man that she's now pregnant and it's not his and she hasn't been with anybody else. Yeah, right. That's not even the worst part. See, for her in that day, in that context, you gotta get out of Rock Hill and go get out of 2022 and go back there to understand what the most likely scenario for a woman pregnant in her condition and her state of life would be. See, the most likely scenario, this is not a possibility, this is the most likely scenario. It's like when they say 90% chance of rain, it's probably gonna rain wherever you are, right? It's likely. This is not, it might rain, this is, it's gonna rain. This is, it's, it's, it's likely, it's probable. It's the worst thing that could happen to an engaged, not yet 
married woman. She turns up pregnant. That means she has disgraced her husband and his entire family. The logical thing and the thing accepted by the law would be for him to put her out and discard her. She would be disgraced publicly. He would be disgraced uh, because of the, the ordeal. Uh, most likely she would be stoned. The law would also demand or allow her stoning publicly. She would be shunned. She would be basically the epitome of the scarlet letter, if you've ever read that story, times 10. This is a woman who would never be more than property for a man. She would never be a wife. She would be property to a man or trafficked, more likely. She would be driven to a life of poverty, a life of destitution. Most likely, the family would take her child from her in the name of, it's a boy in the line of our family. We want to give him a chance. She doesn't deserve him. We do. And the law would allow it. The law would actually expect it. She would have rather have had cancer. This is a miserable reality for her. But the angel has said to her, greetings, oh favored one, you have found favor with God. And I gotta admit, none of this sounds like favor to me. It just doesn't. It sounds like misery, doesn't it? In reality of her context, but the angel doesn't stop there. The, the, the virgin birth may not even be the most impossible thing that he tells her. Let's keep going, look at this. The baby will not be a curse, he will be great. I'm married, I'm like, I don't understand how this could be. He will be great, verse 32, look at these claims. He will be called the son of the most high. So a baby born out of wedlock to a poor girl, unmarried, cursed by the law and the reality of her situation is going to bear the son of God. This is a clear frame, a framing of a claim of divinity. This is a clear reference to the fact that she's going to be bearing the son of God. And he goes on, that's not even all. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now think about this. People from that story don't get to be king of Israel especially when Israel's king doesn't even get to be king of Israel. They're owned, they're operated, they're governed, they're oppressed, they're ruled over by the Roman Empire. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they have been waiting on this promised king to come set them free. They've been waiting on this promised king to come restore the line of David, to, to be the, the king that would rule and defeat all these oppressors. And there's, he's saying, look, this little baby uh, given to you under these circumstances is gonna be the one that'll do that. And I gotta tell you, if I'm married, the only scenario I can think of where this kid born this way to me in this time, at this place, in this manner, could be king, would be through somehow growing up to be this incredible, like, braveheart leader that could, that could lead a revolt or rebellion. That'd be the only way. It could be treason alone would get him the, 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 the throne. And, and what happens in history when people get the throne through rebellion or through a treason is usually it splits a kingdom and those kingdoms don't last because surrounding nations come and they invade and they get them when they're weak and they take them in. That's, that's how the Roman Empire kept growing so quickly. If I'm Mary, I'm thinking, wait a minute, son of the most high, yeah, right. Lord, God is gonna give him the throne of David forever? Are you kidding me? How? All this is absurd, especially the part about his kingdom will have no end. I don't know about you, but I, I don't plan to live forever. I plan to live a while, but I don't plan to live forever. Do you? How's this work? 
A woman, lower working class, claiming to be a virgin, having a baby out of wedlock, probably disgraced, likely stoned, likely outcast, probably not even getting to keep her kid. The only path to royalty for someone with a story like this, treason and revolt, and, and you're promising me not only Messiah, not only, not only kingdom, not only a throne, but forever, like forever. Seems ludicrous, right? It seems impossible. Son of the Most High? One of the Trinity? That's the big three. Messiah, David's throne, that's crazy talk. And, and, and I'm here to tell you that I don't even think those things are the most remarkable impossibility in this story. Like the most remarkable impossibility in this whole story is in verse 34 and verse 38. It's, it's Mary's response. Look, look at this. Her answer, when, when, the, when the angel tells her all these things, is how will you do that since I'm a virgin? I don't think you understand the power of that question. See, I think if I told you these things were gonna happen to you or to someone related to you, you would look at me and like, you can't do that. That cannot happen. Can you even do that would be a fair question. Would it, like what if she had just looked at the, the, the angel and said, can God do that? That would have made way more sense than how will he do that? What, what you're seeing in Mary is even in her first response is she's acknowledging that, that God is who he is, so I, all I need to know is how he's gonna do that, not if he's gonna do it. It's a beautiful, beautiful reaction from Mary. Faith filled. How will this be? And then look at verse 38. Mary drops behold on the one who drops behold. She beholds the beholder. You know what I mean? Like when Gabriel shows up, he always has news. He's a messenger. He comes in and he's like, behold. And everybody listens, right? Because it's an angel talking and that doesn't happen. She looks back at the angel and she says, you beholded me, I'm behold you back. Behold, I am a servant. Do with me according to your word. She postures as a servant, knowing that all of this feels more like a curse than it feels like grace. The angel said it was grace, but it feels like curse. The angel said it was hope, but it feels like hopeless. The angel said it was possible, but it feels impossible. But she does know God. She doesn't know how, she doesn't know why, she doesn't know why her, she doesn't know when or how long. She just knows that if it's God, she chooses to trust. This is a beautiful lesson for us in 2022 in America. See, Mary doesn't rely on reason. She doesn't rely on her understanding or her need to know. She simply relies on the character and the promise of God. So that's what faith looks like. That's what faith looks like. I don't know much, but I know you. That's faith. That's what lordship looks like. The one who she will birth is being born to become the Lord of all, the Messiah, the one who we can put our faith in and he grants forgiveness. The one we can put our faith in, he grants hope. The one who we put our faith in and he grants peace. All these things that he, he grants to us because of his lordship. But, but here's a fundamental truth on the way to Christmas. Look at this. We cannot 
truly be servants of God until we are willing to accept his plans for our lives. Church, I know you got plans. You think Mary didn't have some plans? Come on now, some of y'all are married girls in this room. I know you got plans when you're engaged. I know, because I've done your weddings and you always have plans, lots of plans. Right, like lots of plans. All that's out the window here. Everything good about her marriage is out the window here. Everything good about her plans are out the window here, but she knows God. The faith that Mary shows in this passage must have seemed impossible. How am I gonna do this? How will I walk through this? How will I survive this? How will the baby survive this? Will I even be allowed to keep the child? But, but we act, because she, like, since she's on the manger scene, on the mantle in our house, that all of this is just normal, common, easy even. Think about the impossibility of a reply like hers. And then think about this. I don't know what each of you are walking through today. But I know in a room like this, some of us are walking through some things or have walked through some things that either the coming repercussions or the past repercussions seem impossible. Is that fair? There are things in my life that are in the past that I feel like that will never be reconciled. There are things in the future that I can't believe that God could do anything with what I see coming. There are things in my present, there are people that I love very much that I'm looking at like, God, how will you deal with this? It feels impossible. Can can I just tell you that leading a church sometimes feels impossible? Leading a family sometimes feels impossible. Tuesdays sometimes feel impossible. Can you relate? See, I I think we need to look at Mary. The message of the news was devastating. But the source of the news was grace. Do you get it? See, God sent that messenger. The same God that Mary had heard about and was familiar with for her whole life. Now, these Hebrew girls, they didn't go to school, but she probably grew up around the boys who did, and she grew up going to the temple or with her family to the temple and these kind of things, and she would have known a lot of the stories that you and I know, a lot of the stories that your kids and your, your, your nieces and nephews and, and friends can tell you, stories like, like she just knows that this is the same God that helped Joshua crash the walls of Jericho using the band. This is the same God that helped Gideon defeat the Midianites with a bunch of flashlights. This is David's God who helped him defeat Goliath with a slingshot. This is the same God that speaks the world into being, who freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, the same God who delivered Jonah from a fish, Daniel from the lions, the same God who walked with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fiery furnace leaving them unsinged. The God who hundreds of years prior, and I don't know if Mary knew this or not, but I like to think that maybe she did. Hundreds of years prior, that same God had predicted the unlikely, impossible birth of the Son of God born to a virgin 
through the prophecies of Isaiah in Isaiah 7. You can go read. Isaiah 7, 14 tells us that hundreds of years prior to Jesus' birth, he said the Messiah will be born to a virgin in that town, in that place. And here she is living that reality. This is the, the God of Isaiah, the God of David, the father of Israel. That God has sent a messenger to her. And somehow she responds out of understanding who he is, even though she does not understand the, 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 the full uh, repercussions and the, the full uh, necessity of her circumstances. It's not her circumstances that drive her response. It's not what she sees that can drive her response. It's who she can't see, but who she has learned to trust. She looks at him. If you're God, I'm going with you. This is beautiful. And so I just want to stop on the way to Christmas, on the on-ramp to Christmas. I want to just ask us, is our view of God big enough Like, is our view of God big enough to accept his ways? Even when, especially when we don't understand. Could this be why we struggle so mightily with anticipating the coming of Christ? The second coming? Because we haven't we have spent enough time understanding who God is and anticipating God in our lives on a daily basis, so it's really hard to think about these things like, how are dead people gonna come to life? How is God gonna come back here? Why would he, should we want him to? Like, do I get to finish, like, college first? Do, do I get to see my kids grow up first? Like, what, what if God came later and, like, when I was old and kind of done living? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, we, this crazy, crazy understanding of what we can see overwhelming the one we should be able to see. It's not circumstances. It's not understanding. It's not reason. It's faith. It's faith in the God that she has grown to trust. Faith because of who he is, not because of what she's walking through. Luke 137 is the key verse of this passage. Look at this. The angel says it to her, for nothing will be impossible with God. This is Mary. A servant of God, given to the purposes of God to carry this baby, to live in the repercussions of an impossible pregnancy. So she does what many of you ladies would do. She goes to see her cousin. Verse 39, you know y'all do that. You know, girl, I got to call my girl. I know know how y'all are. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's John the Baptist's first sermon right there. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Do you hear this? Elizabeth steps away from the unspeakable, uncontainable joy of a woman who has tried her whole life to have a child, tried her whole life to give her husband a son, who has been pronounced barren and impossible for her to have a child. She's six months pregnant with John the Baptist, who's not just any kid, the one who will herald the arrival of the 
Messiah. And she steps back from that joy and she looks at Mary, she says, blessed are you. Are you kidding me? Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed what was spoken to her from the Lord. Can you, can you imagine the power of those words to Mary? Because you know what it took to step back from circumstances and to say, is that loud enough? That's as loud as I can do that. Did I get that? That hurts every time I do that. To step back from circumstances, to swallow hard and says, say, behold, I am your servant. Do with me as your word has spoken. I need to walk to Elizabeth's house. And I wonder how many people were speaking behind her back as she walked past and giving her side eyes and gossip as they gave her knowing glances of what kind of girl she is. Do you think, do you think Joseph kicked her out? Do you think he'll marry her anyway? Do you, do, you think, do you think it's even his? I mean, a girl like that, how would you know, right? These things had to hurt. They had to feel impossible to endure. Everything about what she felt with the news must have been coming back. And, and then the first person to greet her, the person that she's gone to see, says, blessed are you. Now, Mary's gone there probably to bless her. We, we, we think that's probably when she found out that Elizabeth was pregnant at all, that the angel told her, and she goes there, and blessed are you. Listen to this. This is Elizabeth speaking truth over Mary's life that is true for the heart of every believer, and it's simply this. Some of you need to hear this, because a minute ago I asked you, aren't you going through something impossible? Aren't you dealing with some hurt and some brokenness, whether back there or up there? Can I just give you the hope of the gospel? The reason Jesus came the first time was so that the second time would be good news, not bad news, because Jesus never wastes a hurt. You hear me? Never. What feels like a curse could be a blessing. And here's what I mean by that. This is Mary looking for God in spite of her circumstances. Are you? Are we? Can, can I just tell you, can I be really honest with you for a minute? This is really hard for me because I, I have to say these words out loud about someone I deeply, deeply love. There is someone I love who is not walking with the Lord and it hurts me to watch because I know how they're walking and I know where it ends and I know how helpless I am to do anything about it. I'm the wrong person to speak into it. All, all I can do is sit before the Lord and pray and to hear my voice say, God, even if it takes brokenness, do whatever it takes because if, sometimes it takes hurt to lead person back to you. Do we believe that? Do we believe that because of God and because of who he is, that the things that have been allowed in your life may have been the things that will lead you to respond out of humility and surrender and to finally die to self and say, God, behold, I am your servant. You are my Lord. I don't know how you'll use this. Here it is. See, I don't know how ministry works for you. I know that all of us who follow Christ are ministers of the gospel. But for me and my wife and my family, what usually our ministry is marked with are the, the redemptions of our past hurts. Can't tell you how many people I counsel who are going through divorce or uh, dealing with a divorce in the past or headed towards divorce and they come to me because God has redeemed divorce in my life to the point where I can now talk about it and talk about who God is in spite of that hurt in my life. 
God redeems step family and we walk with other step families. God redeems mistakes that we've made and we walk with people who have that story. God redeems addictions so that addicted people can become ex-addict counselors for people who are learning to come out of addiction. God redeems all of the hurts in our life because the gospel is just that stinking awesome. Look at what it's doing in this story. The gospel is, is, is redeeming a death sentence for a teenage girl. God never waits a hurt, wastes a hurt. Look at this. It's Elizabeth with a yet another impossible response. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Can you imagine? In every circumstance, a woman pregnant in that, in that day, in that way, should have been cursed, and the, and the fruit of her womb would be cursed. But it's blessed. Why is it? that it's granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Two women, reassured by angels, pregnant against all odds, prophecy unfolding through their lives, the improbable circumstances that they can't fully understand, both of them choose to worship. What? Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Do you, do you see this? It's like, not blessed are you because you're pregnant. Not blessed are you because what God says is starting to happen. Blessed are you because it has been fulfilled. That is a faith-filled promise, a faith-filled statement, is it not? See, that's what faith looks like. Because of who God is, I don't know how this is gonna work out, but it's happening. I'm going with him. That's awesome. See, we talk about discipleship all the time. There's God's part, our part, their part. Do you see in this passage that God is doing his part and that our most basic part in the plan of God is simply to believe it? These two women believe it even before it's completed. So, so I have a question again for us. It's in light of that, that view of God. Is our God big enough that we trust him in spite of our circumstances? Here's another one. Uh, do, why is it that we often have so much trouble believing on God after it's already been fulfilled? This is BC. We're AD. We have history on our sides to tell us that there was a Jesus. He was crucified. We have all of scripture. They didn't. It wasn't even done yet. It had never happened before. It's not even fully understood yet, yet they believed. Blessed is the one who believed. You know, on this side of history, man, we need to do a little more research, don't we? I'm just gonna sit back and see how this goes a little bit and see how, before I step out in faith. That's not faith at all. At least it's not faith in God. It's faith in you. It's faith in reason. It's faith in experience. It's faith in feeling. It's faith in something, but it ain't faith in God, I promise. Because faith in God is about who he is, not about what we are experiencing. And Mary's response to all this, all this from the angel all the way down to, to Elizabeth, it's got to be our response, church. This has got to be it. If all these things are true, if God can work in spite of our circumstances, if brokenness can lead to healing, if sin can be forgiven, if God's coming the first time means the second time is not bad news, it's good news, then, then our response has to be worship. So before we do that, I want you to see what Mary did. This is the last of the impossibilities in this passage. Her impossible reaction to all this is she worships. Look at this, verse 46. 
Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Wow. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That's you. That's us. He showed strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Again, that's you. He keeps his promises. So Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Church, even when we do not understand, we can trust and we can worship God simply because of who he is. You don't have to be okay to follow Jesus. You don't, you don't have to be all cleaned up and doing right to, to get right with Jesus. From the very first arrival, he's been declaring the gospel to us. Her faith, her reaction sounds a lot like a lot of the other ones in scripture. I think about Esther saying, if I die, so be it, and then doing the hard thing God asked her to do. I think about Isaiah saying, here I am, send me, even though he didn't know where he was going or how he would get there. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, our God can deliver us, and even if he don't, he is still good. He's the God who does impossible things. His ways are not our ways. His love is deeper than our lows, higher than our highs, wider than we can stray, and longer than we can endure. He's the beginning, the end, the creator, the sustainer. He's the Lord and Savior, and he can do the impossible. He does it every day. We can ask for the impossible. Even when we don't understand why things go one way or don't go another way. Even when we don't fully grasp what's happening, faith and worship are possible. We can anticipate the impossible. So as the band comes, I wanna, I wanna call you to respond to this truth today. Here's your response. Some of you in the room, you need to know Jesus and you need to know that someone like you can know Jesus. And you just need to simply say, I don't know how you do it, but if you can save someone like me, I want you to do that. Forgive me and I'll follow you. I'll make you Lord. I need a Lord I can trust. Some of you, you need to take that impossible thing and you need to put it before the Lord right now. And you need to beg him to deal with it. You need to, instead of standing to sing, you need to stay seated or you need to turn around and hit your knees or come to the front, whatever you want. And you need to beg God to do the impossible in this place that you can't understand and you need to ask him to help you trust him to do so. Some of you need to thank God for recently or sometime in your past doing the impossible. And then... Let's all worship. Pray with me. Father, lead us in these next moments. Lead us in these coming days to grow and to trust, and to grow in faith, to grow in repentance, just to simply to grow in taking you at your word. I pray that today we will be surrendered, that we will respond by putting putting faith in you, God, the God who does the impossible.
Amen.